Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Bob Brill. He's Eric Kramer. Welcome to Kramer and Brill, a fantasy football podcast. For me, you get 50 years of knowledge playing fantasy sports. From Eric, you get the kind of insight you can only get from a guy who's been a top player on the NFL stage, a leading quarterback with the Bears, the Lions, the Chargers. He's been there, lends his first-hand knowledge to the things you need to guide your fantasy team to victory. Now, you can find us on the Radio.com mobile app, iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Easiest way is just to go to our website, KramerandBrill.com, and the podcasts are listed on the podcast page, or you can find them by clicking at the top of the homepage. It says, latest podcast, click here. Check it out, KramerandBrill.com. So let me introduce you to my friend, my colleague, and my co-host, Eric Kramer. The first week of the playoffs, wild card weekend, over, and what a weekend it was. Eric, you texted me yesterday, said it was correctly. These were just all amazing games. <coughs> they were amazing. I mean, out of the four, you had two win in overtime. None of them were like the 55-54 variety. You know, they were all like 17-9 yeah. or, you know, all right around 20 points. Yeah, I don't think anybody scored over 22 or 25, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, yeah and uh, I think what this shows to me is early in the season, you get all this offensive production. You know, you get the big score games, all the rule changes in the offseason always go to, to uh, help offenses score more points, which does happen earlier in the season. Get back into December and January. Now all this, all of a sudden, scores drop. It's all about running the football. If you can't run the football, you can't run, you can't score. Of course, that takes up more time. So and yeah. defense now comes back into the scope. So um, I think they were they were well played games to me, and all you know went down to the wire. So it was it was a great weekend. Oh man, uh, you you've been there before. Now with the Lions and the Bears, you played that first weekend. What's it really feel like going in? <laughs> well, I you know I think back. So in '93, when I was with the Lions, we the week before the the last game of the regular season, we played Green Bay in Detroit and win, which we seal we lock up the the division title. The following week, we played Green Bay again at home in the wildcard round, and <clears throat> we dominated that game, start to finish. When every statistical category you could win, we won. Time of possession running the ball, passing the ball, def- everything. And <clears throat> but uh what I remember was the two interceptions that I threw in that game were both in the end zone going in. Early in the first quarter, Herman Moore who's like 6-4, around about the final 15-yard line or something, Terrell Buckley who thinks he's the next Deion Sanders out of Florida <laughs> State, but only Deion uh, Terrell's like 5-8 or 5-9 or something. So <clears throat> Um, there's a play where there's crossing routes underneath, and I got Herman Moore one-on-one against Buckley in the back of the end zone on a post route, and I throw it. Uh, Buckley undercuts it. So all I had to do was throw it kind of high and out in front, and it's a gimme touchdown. Instead, Buckley picks it off. Later in the game, we're up like, I think it's, I don't know, 17, 14 or something. And, again, we had not been stopped. So we're down around the three or four-yard line going in. Ty Halleck, who was a tight end, converted linebacker to a tight end, runs a little uh, out route in the end zone. 
he's, he realizes there's a guy out in front of him, so he doesn't keep running. He kind of hooks up. Right as he's doing that, I throw it over his outside shoulder. Oh. <clears throat> he doesn't get his hands up. The ball goes right over his shoulder. George Teague sitting right behind him. Oh, who then goes 106 yards with it for a touchdown. So we came back after that and scored the very next series. That's a 14-point swing. Right. So at the end of the game, here's with a couple minutes left, Favre you know, does a couple things. They get down around the 40-yard line. He drops back on a play, starts running around, ends up running all the way to his left, throws all the way back across the field to Sterling Sharp in the back corner of the end zone, touchdown, game over. I remember sitting in the equipment room back of it, just breaking down like, I just lost us this game. I cannot believe it. And <clears throat> I was unconsolable. And then, I don't know, a couple months later, I signed with the Bears and go to the, you know, go to Chicago. And um, it's just, it's a disheartening feeling. Because I think I heard so one of the, uh, you know, people predicting games or whatever before the game said, here's what's going to happen on this game. He also was a former player. He goes, at the end of this weekend, there's going to be teams moving on and teams packing up to go home. You don't want to be one of those teams packing up to go yeah. home. So having been one, you know, it's not a good feeling. So 1994, you're with the Bears. Yep. And then what happens? Well, uh, that year, I get hurt early on, maybe the fourth or fifth week of the season. <clears throat> I separated my shoulder. Well, Steve Walsh comes in, and we start winning, and he helps us get into the playoffs. We actually, I think, came in second to the Vikings in the division which meant we got a wild card spot. So we go to Minnesota and play them, and then we win the game. So now they're going home, and we go on to play San Francisco in San Francisco. Let me stop right there. Before you go on to the San Francisco game, how was that feeling at the end of that playoff game that you guys won? You won your first playoff game. Yeah. Well, it, interesting because <coughs> we were winning. We won. We won all those games. We get in the playoffs. We win that game against the Vikings. Only selfishly to me I'm happy for the team that we won but I'm also uh, I guess feeling bad for myself in a selfish way that I wasn't part I did not feel part of that mm -hmm. and so we it wasn't like I was hoping for us to lose I'm glad right. we won right but then we go to San Francisco and <clears throat> we end up getting blown out 40 something to maybe 10 uh, and that was the year the 49ers went on and beat what is it, San Diego by 50-something points in the Super Bowl. And that was the best, that 49 team was the best NFL team I think I'd ever seen. And uh, But, you know, playoffs is what, uh, you know, it's like they call it the second season, and it is. And it, you've got the best of the best in there, and certain teams rise at that time of year. So when you're watching these games this weekend, what are your emotions like? <laughs> well, I'm, I guess my emotions are, you know, I... Uh, I'm like any fan, you know. I'm um, I'm rooting for the teams who I think are going to win or have a chance to step up and make a statement for themselves, like the Bills. You know, nobody gave them a chance right. to begin the season, and then here they just kind of plot along and they find their identity. They play good defense, and Josh Allen comes alive, and so I'm hoping for him to come out and do well, and they do. And then Deshaun Watson becomes Deshaun Watson in the second yeah. half, and you know, this, uh, I just emotionally, uh, I don't look at the game like, man, I wish I could still do that. Being 55 now, it's yeah. just not going to happen. <laughs> Double nickels. But, uh, <laughs> but I certainly loved watching the games, and I thought, you know, all four of these games were fantastic to watch. 
they were. I mean, I sat there, my wife and I both, uh, we watched uh, the games, and it was just like, I, I was at work part of the time, so I got to watch part of it there, but it was really, really fun to watch these games and you know and we're going to talk about these games coming up here in just a minute as we mentioned uh before uh, most regular fantasy playoff leagues were done but the fantasy season itself is not over with lots of fantasy extra leagues going on the nfl is tied to, to the playoffs of course sites like FanDuel do as well so we're going to take a look at the past week and the weeks ahead for those who still need fantasy advice so let's take a look at how we did we were right on many respects and pretty doggone close in others. We were believers in Derrick Henry in Tennessee. And again, we car he carried the load for the Titans with 182 yards. We liked DK Metcalf in Seattle, and he led the team in receptions, including two big catches. Had an amazing touchdown catch, and at the end of the game, made a nice game-sealing catch. We liked John Brown. He was solid as the Houston defense with J.J. Uh, Watt. We said if Adam Thielen was healthy, that was going to be a key in the Vikings game, and he was, and it was. We were wary of uh, any one of the Eagles uh, that played out too. And the Saints, well, they get a no call on a TD in overtime for the second year in a row. And the folks in oh, who dat land got to be wondering how much voodoo the officials are putting on them Saints. So surprises and disappointments for you. Okay, so I think, as I just mentioned, Josh Allen, I was so impressed with him uh, all year. Uh, but this being his first playoff game on the road, I thought, man, he's going to really have to do... You know, nothing spectacular, but just be consistent from start to finish. And that first series, he was amazing. And who knew John Brown was going to show up the way he did in the yeah. passing game as a passer <laughs> to throw the only touchdown pass. <laughs> one for one, 16-yard touchdown <laughs> to Josh right, Allen. <laughs> right. So, you know, I thought Josh Allen, over the entire course of the game, he just, sure, he missed a couple of opportunities. He had a few errant throws. Uh, and down the stretch, he had a few plays where, like, you know, if I had it to do over again, yeah, he had a few of those. Taking that big sack near the end of the game was yeah. disastrous. But, uh, you know, I thought that he impressed me. And then Deshaun Watson in the second half, uh, I went back and looked at his stats for the entire game. He only missed five passes, yeah, uh, five throws. Yes, he was sacked seven times, but he probably avoided as many sacks as he got. And he was, again, their leading uh, ground gainer, um, and just kind of in that second half and in overtime took the game over, put the team on his back and won the game for him. And I thought that was just amazing. I think, uh, you know, Vrabel to have ended the dynasty in Foxborough and it be an ex-Patriot yep. guy that did it as, you know, as a coach of the Titans, nobody predicted that. I'm watching all these pregame shows and – Every single guy that was looking at the Saints game predicted the Saints were going to yeah, win. Yeah, I did too. Not did one too. of them predicted the Vikings. So then the Seahawks go to Philadelphia, and you know Russell Wilson becomes Russell Wilson again. And then DK Metcalf on a national stage now. Everybody can see why yeah. he's had such a great season. Can't believe he was picked so late. You know, I, I looked at him, I, I, and even in fantasy league, I took him to the second round because I figured he probably would not be there because of what happened in yeah. the regular draft. So I figured, okay, I'll take him in the second round. And uh, it was just amazing to watch. I mean, he's, he's, just, I, he's just fun to watch. Yeah, and, and Chris Collinsworth said it great on the broadcast. And he's like, you know, when we talked to him in the middle of the week, I was kind of waiting. There's something that <laughs> yeah. be wrong with him. <laughs> as soon as he sat down, I, there was going to be something that, yeah. oh, that was why he got drafted yeah. until the second round. He goes, Chris Collinsworth, I had him in my mock draft, I had him going seventh overall. Yeah, But then 
No, there's nothing wrong with him. He reminds me of Megatron. He's not quite there, but I mean, you know, he does remind me of Megatron. Well, I could see in the the comments that Russell Wilson in the interview after the game, he had talked about, hey, this guy, there's something unique about him, and he shows up. He's not just physically gifted. He is invested, uh, you know, mentally into what we're doing and knows what he's doing. He knows what everyone else on offense is doing. He knows their defenses. He knows the, the, uh, the pass protection, everything. So uh, <clears throat> he's not going anywhere. So he's going to be there again just like that the following week. So a great win for the Philly and, and the Seahawks, right? Yeah. And, and again, a 17-9 to game, and the Seahawks got so many things going for them. They've got, you know, D.K. Metcalf at receiver. They've got probably one of the game's best quarterbacks. They've got one of the game's best defenses. So they're going to show up week to week. As long as they're in it, they're going to be there. And we talked about the clowny hit. As well, uh, on Wentz. I mean, that that was... Uh, I saw two blown calls over the weekend. That one was one. The other was the touchdown in the... The Rudolph uh, touchdown. The, yeah, the yeah. Rudolph but touchdown. I think, you know, we're talking about the Wentz hit. So, a defender, and I don't know his name, goes to dive at and taking out one of uh, uh, Wentz's legs. So, he's already airborne, going down. Then Clowney leaves his feet. And from the side... Hits him in the back of the head with his helmet. There's only one intention you have, and it, and who cares about someone's intention? Mm-hmm. If a guy jumps offside, he didn't mean to jump offside. Right. It, that's just part of the rule. He can't do it. So when you see what can't be done, you throw a flag. I don't get why that wasn't called. Right. I don't either. I don't either. I mean, lowered he lowered his head, helmet to helmet, should and guy was on the ground. Yeah. So, okay. Um, let's see. Oh, I know where I want to go. Let's go to the injury front here. Uh, key injury in the game, of course, we just talked about. Carson Wentz going down in a concussion really put the Eagles in a bind. Uh, he'll have the entire offseason to recover from that one. It looked like an illegal hit, as we just mentioned. And we've had some more coaching changes, too. As expected, Jason Garrett is out in Dallas. Mike McCarthy interviewed. Now gets hired by Jerry Jones. So uh, let's go ahead and recap the four games. You want to make a comment on the uh, Mike I McCarthy? Yeah, I, you know, I knew Mike McCarthy was, you know, this last uh, year preparing himself for the chance that he would get another chance maybe in a head coaching job. Why that was the high end of Dallas, <laughs> I'm not sure, without ever interviewing any of the up-and-coming guys. Yeah. Um, I don't get it. I know they interviewed Marvin Lewis, and they interviewed Mike McCarthy, and I'm not sure if they interviewed anyone else, but how Mike McCarthy became the guy who's now going to inherit that roster and Dak Pres- Prescott to begin with I don't know why he's the perfect fit there. Yeah, they play them often enough. Jerry Jones sees what McCarthy does. May, does that figure into it? I have no idea. I, because Mike McCarthy had Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterback or one of the top two or three in the league. And the reason he's no longer a Packer head coach is because of Aaron Rodgers and what Aaron Rodgers didn't like about him. Why that now becomes Dak Prescott's, you know, who is also an up-and-coming excellent NFL quarterback. Why that's now going to be his new coach, I don't get that. Without having interviewed anybody up and coming that's within the NFL already. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a look at the uh, brief recap of the games so we can give you some insight into what happened in those games and the players coming out of those games going into this weekend's game. So let's uh, start with the Titans and Patriots. We said the Titans were coming out ahead here, and they did, uh, with uh, Derrick Henry leading the way. It certainly wasn't the passing games. Ryan Tannehill completed 8 of 15 for 72 yards and a touchdown, one interception. Defense held New England to 13 points. Patriots defense was okay, but as we've been saying for some time, the offense struggled. 
James White rushed for just 14 yards on one carry. Sonny Michel had, led the team with 61 yards. Tom Brady completed 20 of 37 for 209 and a pick. That pick at the end of the game, of course, uh, meaningless as the final pass. And what could be his final season is a pick six. Interesting, right? Because they just lost with another pick six the week before against the Dolphins early in the game, though. But I think you're right. So Derrick Henry, not only, in my opinion, he rushed for 182 yards, yes. But of the 70-ish Tannehill passing yards that he got, 22 of them went to Henry on one screen pass. Then he gets down to the one-yard line, and the next play runs it in for a touchdown. So I think, uh, you know, Derrick Henry is such a force. And, uh, you know, another guy who gained a lot of respect from me this weekend was Kirk Cousins. Because I was listening to all these people talking about the game and how Kirk Cousins has not, uh, you know, won any meaningful primetime games uh, in his career. He's 0-9 on Monday Night Football, never won a playoff game. Now he's got to go to New Orleans, face probably at this time of year the NFL's best, highest scoring offense right. in New Orleans. Everybody's guaranteeing that New Orleans is going to score 30, so the Vikings and Cousins have to score 40 to win the game. Well, no, they don't. And New Orleans gets shut down to whatever they had. Uh, Final of 22-19, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And and that was overtime. So I think, uh, you know, no one gave the Vikings defense, I think, enough credit going in. Certainly no one gave Cousins any credit. And in the crucial times of the game, especially in overtime, the one throw he had to Thielen that sets up the Rudolph touchdown, it's about a 40-something yard throw and catch. And then the next play, or a couple plays later, throws the one to Rudolph into the end zone. When the game was on the line, Cousins came through on the road in New Orleans, a place nobody gave him a chance to win. He comes out with the win. That was impressive to me. And then we got, you know, the next, if you look at who the quarterbacks are left in this tournament. Now, they're all... Other all the 40-year-old, all, all the guys that are your age are gone. All <laughs> that were creeping up on me, yep. But now, minus Breeze, you've got all the best certain quarterbacks. you still got Watson, Tannehill, Cousins in this case, and now, uh, obviously, uh, Wilson. And then the guys who didn't play, you got Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, Rodgers, and Garoppolo. So, of the eight teams left, you got some stellar quarterbacks still going. Yeah. Bills of Texas, we really like Josh Allen here. And he did throw for 264 yards but no touchdowns and as well, uh, no interceptions. He also rushed for 92 and caught the only touchdown pass of the game for the Bills, as we mentioned, thrown by John Brown. Plus a strong running of Devin Singletary. Now, it went to OT. Deshaun Watson brought his team back in the second half, 20-25, 247 plus 55 and a touch on the ground. It was clutch players like DeAndre Hopkins and Kenny Stills making key plays at the key moments. Now, we did not like Watson going in on this one because of the sacks he took this year. And he did get down seven times, but as Eric mentioned, uh, he also avoided some. The key difference, I think, was the return of J.J. Watt. That was it for me. Made key defensive plays in a game decided in overtime. We said he would be the difference smart maker, and he was. Yeah, I would agree with you that J.J. Watt had a a presence in this game. Came up with the only sack, I guess, of of Josh Allen. But I I want to go back and say, even though we said stay away from Watson because of all the sacks he took, he took seven sacks. Yes. But when you think of who won this game for Houston, I think it was Deshaun Watson. He avoided sacks. If you look back to the overtime, he should have gotten sacked on the very play that set up winning the game for him. Right. So there was two guys that had two free shots at him. That was an amazing play. They hit him at the same time. (laughs) He somehow doesn't go down, scrambles out. 
finds an open receiver, he then takes it 50 or 60 yards and sets up the game-winning field goal in overtime. What a key play. That was, I mean, that, that has got to be one of the highlight real fill, uh, plays of, of the NFL season. No doubt. And now you've got that guy who made that play, the quarterback I'm talking about, Deshaun Watson, uh, moving on to the next round and going back to Kansas City, where t- a place where they won earlier this year. So I, I, I'm excited about, again, the Texans have kind of been in. They started hot, they beat Cleveland, and things went well for them for a while, and then they sort of took a little downturn, then they took a few upturns. But I think now they're coming off a big win against a good Bills team and going to Kansas City where they've already won this year. Vikings of the Saints, I said this game would be won or lost on the health of two players, Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen. Cook's 94 yards and two touchdowns, and Thielen's seven catches for 129, along with the play of Kirk Cousins, were the difference makers. Uh, Drew Brees played well, but not well enough, and Michael Thomas had a, a pedestrian day, at least for him. Love the play, again, of Taysom Hill. Uh, two <laughs> catches for 25 and a touchdown, four rushes for 50. 50-yard pass for his only attempt of the day. I'll tell you, uh, that one play where he spun out of two tackles mm-hmm. and ran down the sideline yeah. for another 25 well, yards. Well, you know, else. he's the type of guy, the, the the amount of time he gets talked about in a game versus the amount of plays he's actually in the game is amazing. So I think if the Saints somehow would have won that game, he's the guy that should have got the game ball for the Saints. Um, conversely, I think for me, the Vikings, this was a complete team win for them. Their Zimmer called a great defensive game. He had them, I think... Uh, psychologically and physically ready to play this game. They ended the regular season having not played everybody and didn't look good doing it. And then they come back, uh, actually the game before, they they then rest a lot of people on the last game, which I didn't think they would do. Mm-hmm. And then, but uh, Zimmer had a plan that obviously worked. They rested people up. Offense, defense, special teams all came through. And, um, you know, I think, the game ball for the Vikings, in addition to Cousins, should go to Mike Zimmer. Uh, you mentioned the three big contributors uh, were Thielen, Cook, and um, Cousins. But uh, I think, you know, Xavier Rhodes, who was on himself on the hot seat going into this game, was pointed out by everybody predicting how the Vikings were going to lose. He came up big near the end of the game, defended a pass, made a key, run, uh, key stop on a run. And, I, you know, I can't remember the name of the kicker, but he was perfect on field goals and extra points. So I think it was just, uh, you know, big plays were made by the entire team, not just Kirk Cousins, in all big key moments. Seahawks and Eagles. Uh, we said the Eagles were the weakest link, and a lot of it due to injuries, and then Wentz goes down in the first quarter. End of story, despite an heroic effort by Josh McCown. Uh, the Eagles had some really good individual performances, but in the end, it was Seattle's game to lose. Uh, Ertz caught only two passes, and Sanders had only 69 yards on the ground. Russell Wilson, meanwhile, tossed for 325, had 45 yards on the ground. Uh, Marshawn Lynch bowled his way into the end zone, and DK Metcalf, whom I loved all year, was the star. He had seven catches, 160, and a touchdown, and the game sealer at the end of the game on a really deep pass that was about a third and five or something. We call this one right down to the money. Well, I'll give you the credit. You've been on the spot all year <laughs> with Metcalf. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Collinsworth was saying what a great draft that was, getting him in the second round. After the game, Wilson's talking effusively about how great Metcalf has been from the day they, they got him, all the training they did in the offseason, in the summertime. And uh, so I think to Anybody within the Seattle Seahawks organization, this is no surprise with the way D.K. Metcalf has emerged this year. It took him a little while to get there, but once he got in, man, it was like 
Exactly. To learn the NFL rules. Yep, and he's and physically he's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then the Eagles, you know, going into the game, they had no healthy receivers. You know, Seahawks though had no healthy running backs. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that again going in, you thought, hey, Wentz is gonna this is gonna be a great showdown between two great quarterbacks. Although Wentz then gets knocked out first what, quarter, second, first quarter, second series, I believe. And so Russell Wilson then puts up 345 yards and a touchdown and. Is there also the leading ground gainer? And I think the defense is what the Seahawks, to me, that's where they won this game. Holding the Eagles to nine points. Too. Yes, it was Josh McCown, but he he showed himself to be pretty good as well, filling in for, for wins. But uh, I'm so, I, going into this, I know the Seahawks lost to the 49ers in the season, but they're just as good to me as the 49ers. So I have no, no issues with the Seahawks having won this game. Uh, and now going to Green Bay, I think this is going to be a pretty good matchup that way too. You know, McDowell was 40 and doing broadcast uh, and coaching high school football when they signed him as a backup quarterback. That's right. So, might be a slot for you to coach <laughs> in the NFL, my friend. Jump from youth football to assistant coach. Come on, why, why not? not? And the Rams are right down the street. <laughs> there you go. Uh, they're in the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> Literally in the neighborhood. <laughs> so let's go to this coming week's games. On Saturday, we have uh, two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. Titans and Ravens, all hands on deck for this one. And i got to believe all hands are checking the box with the Ravens next to it. It's hard to bet against Lamar Jackson. He's the most exciting quarterback in the league. 3,120 27 yards passing, 36 touchdowns versus only six interceptions. He rushed for another 1,206, another seven touchdowns. He accounted for 43 touchdowns this season. Amazing. Tough to do. And in Mark Ingram with over 200 carries and 1,000 yards, Gus Edwards with another 7-11, and you're hard-pressed to stop this team on the ground. Receivers, Mark Andrews had 64 catches, 10 touches at tight end, five other guys with at least 25 catches. Offensively, they don't have a weak spot. Defensively, they're solid, too. They had 37 sacks, 13 picks, 12 fumbles recovered, and two block kicks. Plus, they had six defensive scores. I see the Ravens in a runaway. <laughs> You're making this sound like the 49ers I just described earlier. <laughs> um, yeah, I, there's not a lot to dislike about the Ravens. So you just remember, you just mentioned all these incredible offensive numbers, and they, you can't argue against it. And the style of play, no team all year could effectively defend them. Lamar Jackson's elusive running ability kind of reminds me of Barry Sanders. Only Barry Sanders as a thrower doesn't remind me of Lamar Jackson. Right. But watching, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess I should say, uh, offensively Baltimore is going to be tough for the Titans. You know, on paper it looks to hold under 30 points. However, you, nobody thought they, that, uh, you know, they were going to uh, have the performance they had against New England last week sure. either. Um, so I think... You know, you've got a full solid week now for the, the Titans to prepare uh, for the Ravens. Uh, I see uh, sm- variable smart enough guy that, you know, you give him enough time, defense that they have has enough talent. You saw the way they flew around this game. Um, they play all out for, uh, for each other and for Vrabel. Um, you know, I think the Titans, if you look at it offensively, can they put up 17 points? I think they can. Mm-hmm. They did last week. So uh, I think the um, can they manufacture an, a touchdown some other way? Either defensively can they score. Special teams can they yeah. set up something. Can they do a trick play kind of like the Buffalo Bills did last week with a reverse screen or reverse pass back to the quarterback? Something mathematically. Can they manufacture 24 points? I think they can. So that means to me they have a chance. If they can hold the Ravens under 30 
and can they manufacture somehow you know 24 28 points um, the Titans if you look at Tannehill you know he went into Foxborough slayed the dynasty yes right. he only threw for 75 yards but no touchdowns uh, I mean sorry no, no fumbles no interceptions no big plays that hurt them and now the Ravens you got to figure they're going to load up and try to stop Henry which is probably going to give more one-on-one looks to outside to the receivers. And if you can run the football and play action pass, you've got a chance to be effective on some downfield shot throws. So I think Tannehill's got a chance to come in here along with the rest of his team, all pull together and pull out what would become, I think, the biggest playoff win of this season. Is it going to happen? I don't, I'm not going to predict that it's going to, but I think it can happen. Well, as for the Titans, now that Tannehill's gone into Foxborough, as you mentioned, slayed the dynasty in a game that he didn't turn the ball over. I can see more responsibility being placed on his shoulders, too, against the Ravens. I anticipate the Ravens, as you mentioned, loading up to stop Henry. Titans game, which will mean more one-on-one matchups. I like the Titans' size advantage at receiver and Tannehill's ability to get them the ball. I can't even, you know, see the Titans... Uh, I just can't see it. I think it's all going to be Derrick Henry, and Tannehill has to step up bigger than last week. I don't see Henry having the kind of success he had. And the biggest part, I don't see the Titans' defense being able to contain the Ravens. I, I just don't see it happening. I see the Texans uh, playing better against the Chiefs in the Texans and Chiefs game. I see them playing better against the Chiefs than I do the Titans against the Ravens. I think if Watson continues to play like he did in the second half of this weekend, they could beat Kansas City. Hopkins and Hyde will step up. Uh, the key here is going to be Watson. The defense, I think, really pulled the last game out with J.J. Watt back at full strength. So I like the Texans' chances here. I really do. Um Where's it going to go? We'll talk about that. Go ahead. Well, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't like the Texas chances here because obviously they've already back in week six they did it mm-hmm. on this very same stadium they're going to go to this weekend. Um, so I think you know the Texans won that game 31-24, uh, and that was with Watson throwing an interception or two. Uh, this time Watson's coming off, I think, his best game of the year, or best half of the year. And now that they're can he continue that though? That's the question. Well, I think he's the type of guy. That, yes, he can. Um, he's been doing it ever since college and in college. Uh, so I think yes, he can do that. Mm, Casey's lost some games at home this year that were surprising. That being one of them, uh, the loss of the Texans. <clears throat> You've also got Kansas City has some of the best speed on both sides of the ball in the NFL. Not only Tyreek Hill, but maybe the second fastest guy in the field this game coming up is going to be McCall Holt or Harden. So I, I think, uh, you know, defensively they got speed with Frank, uh, uh, the guy that picked up from Seattle, um, uh, Frank Clark. And then, uh, you know, uh, Tyron Matthew at uh, strong safety, uh, free safety, such an instinctive player quick and fast as well himself. Kelsey might be the best tight end. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, uh, Obviously the one in San Francisco with Kittle is fantastic, but Kelsey is just as good. And uh, you know, I think defensively um, Casey presents some problems to the Texans. Um, you know, Maybe that uh, New Orleans didn't, but uh, 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 I'm sorry, that uh, the Bills didn't. But I think that you know, the Texans do have a chance in this game primarily because Deshaun Watson is back to being Deshaun Watson earlier in the year that everyone was talking about being an MVP candidate. Right. Well, I like Damian Williams here over LaShawn McCoy, but statistically, they couldn't be closer. So if, if they share, they share. Well, the Chiefs D has been playing well. I give the edge to the Texans, again, because of J.J. Watt, but not by much. 
And we may go into overtime again. It, this could very happen. I think Mahomes plays his usual strong game, so I think it's up to the players around him to step up. Kelsey, as you mentioned, could be a major factor. Again, if the Texans can contain him, I think they win this one. On Sunday, Vikings uh, and 49ers. I do like the way the Vikings are playing, but they do need to get the ball, ball more to Stephon Diggs. He went berserk almost on the sideline, only targeted once in the first three quarters. What's up with that? I mean, come on. If Cousins plays like he did this last week, they could pull this one off. But I like the Niners here. Cook will have his yards, but he will be stopped for much, much less than usual. Well, you know, defensively, I think the Vikings are going to get a mouthful of the 49ers running game. Yeah, I believe You know, Mostert yeah. and all three of these guys are going to pound away, um, which is going to, I think, uh, lead to some play-action passes. And, of course, that's where George Kittle gets involved. Uh, offensively, Dalvin Cook, I think, is going to be shut down by one of the NFL's best defensive fronts in the 49ers. Uh, which I think is going to put more emphasis on Cousins being able to get the ball down the field. But at the same time, he's going to be pressured by that very same defensive front. But he came under or, or, or rose to the occasion this past week in New Orleans. He's going to have to do that again this time in San Francisco. But I think he's up to it. And I think they're going to come up with a game plan that's going to allow for their defense again to step up, possibly hold the 49ers down below an average of scoring what they're normal used to. And I think if that's the case, the Vikings will have a chance. I'm not saying, again, they're going to win this game, but they're going to have a chance to go into San Francisco and, and cause some noise. Well, why do I like the 49ers? I tell you, I like the way Jimmy G's playing and the way the receivers have performed all year long. They seem to be peaking right now. Kittle had 85 catches for 1,053 yards on just 107 targets. Now, that means just 22 times in 16 games the ball came his way, he did not catch it. That's pretty freaking amazing. That doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. he dropped him. That just yeah. means the ball maybe didn't get to him. Yeah. Could have been overthrown, underthrown, whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know how many drops he had this year, but probably not many. Probably had a couple. But th that is just an amazing statistic. Emmanuel Sanders played like an all-pro when he came over. Uh, Debo Samuel almost matched him. They had 123 catches and almost 1,700 yards between them. And if you ask the average NFL fan who's the leading rusher on this team, few could name Raheem Mostert with 772 yards, while Tevin Coleman with 544 and 623 from Matt Breida were not far back. Plus, I think they have the best defense in the National Conference. Niners by a dozen. That's what I'm calling it. Here's the thing. The 49ers don't even have to have a great game out of Jimmy Garoppolo. No, they don't. To win this game, or any game. And there's often times he doesn't have a good game, and they still win by a lot. Yeah. So, again, their defense causes all kinds of problems. This is an outside zone running offense. That's where they dominate people and create big lanes for the receivers when they do decide to throw off a of play action. So I think, uh, you know, the 49ers, the, sorry, the Vikings, they're going to have their hands full. No doubt about it. But, you know, nobody gave them a chance against New Orleans. That's true. Nobody. So I'm not saying, again, that they're going to win this game, but it's possible. Seahawks and Packers, that's a tough one for me. I like everything about both teams. Let me start with the Seahawks. Uh, they got it going. Russell Wilson is playing great. Defense is doing well. They're getting limited but timely production from the running back crew and the receiving core led by DK Metcalf, who is strong. I think it's going to be close. This is the one game I will predict. So I am going to say the Seahawks are going to go into Green Bay and win this game. You point out earlier that when Rodgers... Green Bay loses to Seahawks. <coughs> I won't give you a score, but I'm just going to go back to what some of the things you had mentioned earlier in the year, uh, toward the end of the year, in fact, that when Rodgers faces a good pass rush, which he's going to face this week against Seattle, that uh, he falters. And that proved to be true in the game that you predicted, 
toward the end of the season. So the Seahawks, with Clowning and others, have an excellent pass rush. The Packers have weapons like the emergence of the tall, rangy uh, Alan Lazard and Aaron Jones at running back. But the Seahawks also have probably the best middle linebacker in the NFL in Bobby Wagner, an excellent secondary. And where I like the Seahawks on offense, this is going to be the showdown to, between two of the best NFL quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And Russell Wilson's coming off of maybe his best game of the year in which not only throwing the ball, but running the ball, he yeah. dominated. Um, he led their team in rushing. He did. <laughs> he, uh, exactly. And we expected more from Marshawn Lynch, but it didn't matter. He just he, he was he did what he was supposed to do. Which now, the fact that Marshawn Lynch came in in the first game back and had a few plays where he was like, whoa, this guy's back. Even some receiving. Right. Yeah. And then scores his pass game. So I think here's a guy that offensively running the ball wise and Marshawn Lynch, they've got him in their hip pocket. Russell Wilson's playing great. Uh, I think not only is Russell Wilson a former excellent NC State quarterback <laughs> in, a, in a long line. Of Let things. me write that down. Yep. Uh, another <laughs> NC State comment. Okay. <laughs> and also Wisconsin since he did play a, a year there. Uh, the guy makes great decisions. He's accurate. In the clutch, he comes through. He's a great runner with the ball. He does not make big mistakes. He's also gone over how great DK Metcalf is for this offense. A lot of this team, I won't say a lot of the players, but some of the players, including Russell Wilson and their coaching staff, were all part of that. those last two Super Bowl performances where they won one, should have won another one. And um, uh, I, that, for all those reasons, I like the Seahawks. How many packs of gum do you think that Pete Carroll goes through in a game? <laughs> or is it just one piece? Could that be one piece. It, yeah, it right. just goes I mean, like I'm, forever. Sean Watson probably hangs on to that one piece. He's got all game long, too. Well, for me, the key in this game is going to be exactly what you said and what I, I was talking about the offensive line for Green Bay. If they can keep Aaron Rodgers upright and give him a little more time than I think they will, Green Bay wins this game. If he's harassed and harassed early, this is going to be a close game with Seattle on top. Aaron Jones is solid, both catching and running the ball. If he goes down, then it's definitely a Seahawks game to lose. I'm worried about receivers not named Devontae Adams, who led the squad with 83 at 997. Six guys did catch at least 26, but aside from tight end Jimmy Graham, they're all inexperienced and little, if any, playoff experience. So this is going to be depending on the offensive line to me. And that's kind of where this, this game's going to have to settle. But I'm, I'm uh, with you on it. I think uh, it's Seattle in, in a close game. So there you have it, this week's Fantasy Football Podcast. Join us each coming upcoming Tuesday night. Uh, look for the upcoming NFL games. Uh, you can find us on Radio.com, the mobile app, iTunes, Stitcher, Lipsum, and wherever you get your podcasts. The easiest way, perhaps, just go to our website, KramerandBrill.com. And the podcasts are listed on the podcast page, or you can find them by clicking at the top of the homepage. Check it out, KramerandBrill.com. This podcast is property of Brill Productions, and any unauthorized use, such as charging for its contents, is strictly prohibited. We do encourage you, however, to share the podcast for free. For Eric Kramer, I'm Bob Brill.